What up, everybody? Welcome to episode 30 of 2, 5, and 10. I was feeling the intro music. I'm not going to lie. I think it kind of fit with what's going on in these NHL playoffs. They're just driving me out of my mind, up in here. It's going crazy. It's going wild. Benny, what up? I am so looking forward to both Game 7s tomorrow night. Uh, obviously, we got the big one uh, for you and most of our listeners uh, with the Bruins and Blues Game 7 at TD Garden. Uh, we'll talk about that today. We'll talk about the San Jose Golden Knights Game 7, a couple of the series that are still going on, the huge upset with the Blue Jackets over the Lightning, uh, and then some of the coaching hires uh, that have occurred over the last seven or eight days. But hopefully we get everybody pumped up for Game 7s tomorrow night and possibly even more Game 7s on Wednesday, depending on what happens in the games tonight. Yeah, we're currently recording right now, Monday night, Capitals and Hurricanes playing right now. Nashville is about to drop the puck with Dallas, so we will give you updates as they come. I'm excited, man. A a lot of shit's happened over the last week, and this is going to be a good episode. I can fail it. Um, One shout-out, I know we usually do them at the end. But, but we finally got 100 likes on Facebook. That, that was big. We've been hammering hard for that. Just, just, you know, trying to get some likes, praying for some likes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we're up to like uh, buck 15, buck 20 at this point. Yeah, well, the wildfire, baby, we're spreading. <laughs> uh, but yeah, excited about that. Um, I'm, like you said, looking forward to everything. I kind of wanted to hit you up and see if you wanted to do a quick, like 10 minute recording and post it. Uh, the night the Blue Jackets knocked off Tampa because I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe it either. We probably should have, or we should have went live or something. Because I'm sitting there on the couch and uh, Amanda's on the other couch and she's like looking at me like, "What's wrong with you?" I'm like, "Nah, like, nah, you wouldn't understand." She's like, "What?" I'm like, "Tampa's about to get swept." And Amanda doesn't like she'll follow hockey. But she's like, "What?" I'm like, "Tampa's going down in about 35 seconds." She's like, aren't they supposed to win it all? I'm like, yeah, I know my bracket's fucked. Yeah, I, I thought so too. <laughs> yeah, up until uh, Winnipeg got knocked out yesterday by St. Louis, uh, the first lady was the only one in that group bracket for the playoff challenge that had the chance to win it because uh, everybody except her picked a lightning to win the Stanley Cup. But that lasted about three or four days before her bracket was busted too. Did you see that the NHL... They must have had so many people who picked Tampa that they were letting people repick their bracket, basically with Tampa <laughs> out of it, which I thought was insane. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's bullshit. Like you go down with the ship, you're done, you're done. Yeah, exactly. I mean, hope and pray that your team from the West can do something, at least go to the Cup final. But ugh. so, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the big upset out east? I know Colorado is part of a. a a little less of an upset, but still a pretty big upset as the HC knocking off Calgary. Uh, and then we can talk about the two Western Conference Series still going on and work our way around the East. All right, yeah, that works for me. Um, this is the first time ever that both number ones in each conference have been eliminated. Like, that's insane. And I know we talked about it before, and we gave Colorado a semi-chance. We didn't give Columbus any. And... I was just completely... I gave them a little bit of a chance. I said they would lose in six, but I thought they could beat anybody else in the East. I'm so pissed I didn't put money down. I, I just... Obviously, you know, the way things happened, it is what it is, but, like, I just couldn't see anybody beating Tampa. They were so good throughout the air. 
and I know it's Especially the whole yeah, like I know it's the whole president's trophy and this, that, the other thing, but like watching them play throughout the year, dude, like they look like they had six players on the ice and everybody else had five. Like it looked like it was they were on a power play the whole year. And to see them go to this stage and get complete like the doors blown off of them. Like Columbus was scoring goals. Vasilevsky was not that good. The other ones were just MIA, Stamkos, Sia, Kucherov. Like their big guys didn't come to perform. And they got the rug swept out from under them. And I mean, hats off to Tortorella and all the guys who were performing on the other end. But like, Jesus Christ, man, I did not expect that at all. Just period. Yeah, the two biggest takeaways for me coming from the uh, Tampa Bay side of things is like you touched upon. Uh, the big guys were shut out of the series, just like last year when they uh, got knocked out by Washington. Uh, Stamkos, I think he about netted a goal late in like game three or game four. Kucherov, with his own personal frustration, uh, getting suspended for game three. Hedman missed the last two games, and I still haven't heard an update on what his injury was, but it better be significant for your captain on a record-breaking season to miss games three and four on a road when you're looking at getting swept, and he didn't even attempt to suit up. Uh, I know we talked about how him at 70, him at 50% is better than Braden Coburn right now at 100%. Um, So that's a storyline where now going into next season, after what they just did this year, if they get off to another great start, if they have another great regular season next year, their fans and everybody around the league is going to go, yes, yeah, so what? Prove it. Prove it to us. And the last two playoff runs, their big guys haven't been able to prove it. And I wonder if that's going to stick around, uh, stick with them for the remainder of their careers in terms of playoff production, if they're going to be labeled as chokers or they can't come up clutch in a big spot. Uh, the other point I wanted to make from the Tampa side of things is late in the year, they weren't playing as well as they were. And I am pretty sure everybody else gave them the benefit of the doubt that it was just because they're playing out the string. They had everything clinched. Like they're just taking it easy until playoffs. But obviously that wasn't the case and their defense penalty killing fell apart late in the year and it continued right into the first round. Uh, but yeah, Tortorella, is there any question that he's the best or, at least top two, top three American-born coach of all time at this point now? Discussion-wise, no. I, I think it has to be. Um, behind him, probably right now, I'd say you got Laviolette, who's looking pretty good, but Nashville needs to pull that series out too. So I don't know, man. It's it's just crazy to think how I've praised John Cooper for forever. I'm not going to sit here and bash Coop. I think he needs to be a little bit more rah-rah because it was game four when Columbus, and I think it was a double minor for high sticking, and now finally you're seeing some emotion from Cooper behind the bench trying to rally the troops like, this is our chance, this is your chance, go out there and take it, and they just still couldn't. So to me, I just wonder if it's, if you're too lackadaisical, and I'm not saying he's lazy, but, I mean, he's very laid back and kind of lets the players do their thing. But now when you want to show emotion, are the guys kind of just like, like, all right, dude. You know, so I, I just don't know if that has anything to do with it. To me, that kind of reeks of desperation. Like, if 
we were playing and our coach has been cool, calm, and collected all year when we were coasting to 128 points. And then when we're facing adversity for the first time, he starts changing his demeanor and starts barking. I'd be like, oh, that would that wouldn't put me into a frame of mind of, okay, let's go, boys. It'd be like, oh, shit, we're really fucked here. Well, I mean, they should have known that going in 3 nothing in yeah, that game. Exactly. They were already pretty fucked. <laughs> yeah, the adversity, this is the first time they faced it all year, and they handled it poorly. Kucherov, like last week I said, he's a hothead when things aren't going his way. Uh, the lack of leadership. I know Stamkos is a warrior from his over the course of his career, so I'm not questioning anything there. But I'm just... I'm waiting to hear back what comes. Waiting to hear what comes back in regards to Hedman, but I lost a lot of uh, at this point respect in terms of you got to be able to suit up at least as a decoy. With how good he is, I'm with you 100. Um, like if you're not playing, it has to be something serious. Like we can get into the TJ Oshie thing later, but yeah, there needs to be a reason why you're not there. Yeah, and on the Columbus side of things, like we don't, I don't want to take away, we don't want to take away anything from them. Like they played a hell of a series. It wasn't like they beat up Tampa uh, in their style of play. It definitely was not the storyline. They just out hustled them. They outworked them. The forecheck was great. They got great goaltending outside after the first two periods of Game One from Bobrovsky. Uh, their big guys stepped up, and then you know this is, this goes back to the trade deadline when they went all in. And Nick Foligno, the captain, he was uh, giving an interview after Game 4, and he said uh, he was t- getting tired of having to handle questions about the future of Bobrovsky and Panarin and how it's going to impact the team and everything else. And there was a, kind of a cloud over the, the locker room. And once they traded for Duchesne and Dezingle and McQuaid, he sent a text to uh, Jarko and he said, thank you. That's all the text said. And Jarko wrote back, now we have to, uh, now we have to win it. And... Felino said that energized the guys in the room. I know they kind of were keeping their head above water after the deadline, but as soon as they got to the playoffs, I think that combined with Tortorella's game plan as well as that speech before game one, and as soon as they drew blood and they won that first game, I think that that was off and running. As soon as they won that first game, Columbus was like, yeah, we can fucking hang. Let's do this. Can we talk about one other awkward moment in that series when – uh the handshake line comes about, and Panarin is there with this absolute <laughs> like shit-eating grin to his buddy Kucherov, and Kucherov wasn't even going to shake his hand at that point. And then finally, Panarin kind of pulled him in, and you know whatever that was, I don't know, maybe that's some Russian tong foolery, I don't know. But uh, watching it, it was kind of like, what if Kucherov decks him here? Like, what if Kucherov just like you know two hands him right on the chin, like? Yeah, Kucherov's from the school of Evgeny Malkin, just being a sore loser and losing your cool when things aren't going your way. I mean, Panarin, I can see both sides. Like, if I just lost to you in a series and we were the heavy favorites, I wouldn't want you smiling and giggling at my face. But also, if you did do that, my reaction would just be like, oh, fuck you, man. Like, I wouldn't be acting legitimately butthurt about it. Yeah, he looked butthurt. He did not look very happy at all. Uh, so the other big upset, we'll switch back to you out west. Um, Columbus, just to finish that series up, Columbus is going to be playing a winner of the Washington-Carolina series. Uh, like you said earlier, Washington's up three games to two. They're currently leading 2-1 to one early in the second period in game six. Nope, so just tied up, 2-2. Two, 2-2, two. Two, two. all right. So we'll see about that. 
Either way, that's going to be a great series. Uh, if it's Washington, because that's a rematch of last year's playoff matchup, or Carolina, because at that point, Carolina or Columbus, four wins away from the conference final in that series. So, uh, But switching things up, going out west, the other uh, 8th seed, Colorado, knocking off Calgary to number one seed. Not only was I surprised in a way that it happened, because in our playoff preview, I said the Avalanche were a year ahead of schedule in terms of being legitimate contenders. But the fact that it, they got it done in five games, like it was an easy, almost like too easy of a series for them after games, after game one in Calgary. Yeah, they turned it on. And I know how we always stress the emphasis. It's just always about having a hot goalie at the right time this time of the year. Philip group, like what the fuck? Like this dude was killing it for them. And the other thing the other way was, I know we always talked about how Smith always looked extremely shaky. Mike Smith came to play this series. It was, he got no offense. He he faced 20-something more shots than the goalie in second for, for shots against. So Colorado gave him some serious rubber. And, and hats off to Smitty. I, I know we ride him. But, I mean, like, that team to come to this point... I get it. They may have been snake bitten, and, and that can happen this time of the year. But if this happens again next year, that team that we think is built to win now, that Calgary team, they'll blow that thing up because then there's going to be certain players that are going to say, you're ineffective in the playoffs. We're now moving on. Yeah. I mean, credit to Smith. That was probably, that could have been, his, that was definitely his last game as a Calgary Flame. Uh, he played pretty well in that series although his style of play I know I forgot how much his style of play just bothered me from an aesthetic point of view of just flopping around the ice like a fish out of water it was like very ugly but I guess that's from the old school Hashik style of play um he he wasn't the reason why they lost like you said he really got no support offensively uh Grubauer towards the end of the season was playing well and I touched on this uh, a couple episodes ago He's the future and goal for them. I didn't think they were going to get embarrassed in any way because of Grubauer's playing net, but he definitely lifted up his his uh, performance in the first round. He made that huge save in OT uh, in Game 4 to keep the avalanche in it and kind of stop that momentum for a potential series comeback by the Flames. Uh, yeah, McKinnon, Ratnan, Lagascon, all those guys. Eric Johnson had a big series, big boy series. Uh like I said, surprise Colorado is already at a point where they can hang with Calgary and beat them in a playoff series. But this is going to be an interesting summer for the Flames. They still got to figure out their goalie situation, which has been a problem since last summer. Uh, Kachuk is an RFA. James Neal, uh, rest in peace. Like, I don't know what happened to that dude. He's going to probably going to be bought out, uh, even though he has four years left in his deal of $5.75 million. Uh, so it's going to be interesting what happens in Calgary. It's, I don't know what it is, because you would think they were just a goalie away, but obviously that wasn't the case in the first round. So then I don't know if it's a locker room thing, because they ran Dougie out of town for the locker room problems, but it still looks like it's persist- persisting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know which way to go with the whole locker room thing. I mean, sometimes this time of the year, it's just, it doesn't happen for you. Like, you know, it, it's a bad bounce, it's this, it's that, but... Colorado handled them, dude. Like, 
they shot a lot of pucks. Like they they were getting after it. their depth. Uh, I know I touched on Colin Wilson last week. Currently four points in the playoffs. Matt Nieto, same thing. So their depth guys are finally starting to play. So maybe they kind of hit stride at the right time. Obviously, Nathan McKinnon was Nathan McKinnon in this series. Rantanen was Rantanen. I didn't know as to outside of the top three if they had anything else. But clearly, yeah. clearly it's working. Whatever they got's working for them. Uh, the only interesting thing is Bill Peters was brought over from Carolina as kind of like the miss, well, not the, the missing piece, but as the guy who was going to take them that next step. That obviously didn't happen. I'm just, I'm at a loss for what happened in Calgary, like even more so than what happened in the Tampa Bay Columbus series, because Columbus is a legitimate, top to bottom, talented, good team that is coached by one of the best coaches of our lifetimes, at least. And Colorado just kind of snuck up on Calgary. It looked like the Colorado had an answer for everything, and Calgary is kind of like scratching their heads, not knowing what to do. There was no in serious adjustments, there were really no lineup adjustments. They just kept rolling out the same game plan. Uh, even though it wasn't working. Well, another thing, too, was you got to give credit where it's due. Uh, Mark Giordano, with this quote on Nathan McKinnon, he totally took over, and you have to give him a lot of credit. He's a tough player to play against. Connor, Sid, he's right up there with those two. And he did. I mean, you want to talk about being able, they call it stick handling in a phone booth? He could do it. And the way he just kind of moves his feet and he works his edges going full speed was insane. He was phenomenal in another one, too. That fucking Kale McCarr coming mm-hmm. right into it, dude. He's already a stud. He's played fucking three NHL games. Already a stud. And coming after he was drafted, the big knock on him was his, I guess, lack of size in regards to how other NHL defensemen are built and if his defensive game was going to be able to be at, at least average. Uh, because if his offensive game was without question, enough uh, to carry him to the league. Uh, he scores that his first NHL goal in his first playoff game. But I was more take, I was taken back by how good of a defensive player he was. He's never going to be like a Norris Trophy guy based on his defensive style of play, but he was much better than he was when he was drafted. And I just think that's a testament to uh, his college system as well as just the avalanche developmental system over the summer with their mini camps and they might have finally because eric johnson's not your top pair 20 25 minute a guy anymore they might have their top guy to go along with a johnson on the second pair of tyson berry sam Girardi, guys like that and if you can throw him up there and he can continue this in the next year with sam gerard and tyson berry like you said that's a really good top three for day and you can kind of fiddle the rest in yeah, you got Johnson, Ian Cole, and then if you have Grubauer and that, the way that a lot of the Western Conference playoff teams are structured, if you have a, a sizable advantage in goal, you have a chance to win any series at this point because you look at San Jose with Jones, you look at uh, Calgary with their issues, Hellebuck wasn't as great as he was last year, um, even Vegas, you can't expect uh, Flurry to be top, top of the line for the next three, four, five years, but you can... Hopefully bank on that with Grubauer because he's still young. Yeah, hopefully. And, I mean, the, the other thing with Flurry is you, you can't bank on him for being as good, like you said, but the only other thing is you can only hope 
that when it comes playoff time, he can perform like he's performed. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess I'll take us to, you can jump into the Vegas and San Jose series. They have a game seven coming up tomorrow night. Uh, Vegas was holding a commanding three to one series lead. San Jose has won two in a row. Game seven is at home at the Shark Tank here in San Jose. What are your thoughts on what we've seen in a series so far? What do you think is the key for a game seven win? Um, and what do you think about San Jose sticking with Martin Jones through that, I guess, expected uh, crap performance in games two and three and sticking with him? And he's kind of earned his medal with that, with his playing game six. Well, I was going to say uh, game six was kind of the deal breaker of all deal breakers for him when you have, what was it, 52 saves? I believe it was 52. So he gets 52 saves last night after all the shit that's happened, steals them a game, and I mean a do-or-die game. And with that, I think you just have to hope that St. Martin Jones can carry it over into Game 7. All of the momentum is now going San Jose's way because not only does Vegas blow that and now you have to go play a Game 7, but you blow it on the power play. Like Thomas Hurdle with the game-winning double overtime penalty kill, like shorthanded goal. Like, fuck. Like, like that's all you can say is, is just fuck. N- now it's another flight. Now it's another hotel. You could have closed it out, went out to a night in Vegas while you're already there, had a night prepared for the second round. Now it's another game and nothing's guaranteed. You're going to go into that shark tank and it is going to be fucking insanity in there. I don't know, man. I I picked Vegas originally in seven, but everything is looking San Jose's way right now. The thing for me was that's a shot that Flurry has to stop to Tomas Hurdle. Oh yeah, that uh, wasn't a snipe. That, like he came out too far, and Hurdle just beat him. Yeah, and I know Hurdle's talented, uh, but Flurry definitely has to have that one, especially with this situation being in double OT. If with regards to Martin Jones, the thing I wanted to highlight was, you know, he had an okay game one. He played poorly in game two. He really bottomed out in game three. And they still didn't want to go to Arendelle. And I know he's not some future number one guy, but if you're Arendelle, what does that tell you about how the coaching staff and the organization views you where they're not even willing to give you a one-game start because of how poorly the number one guy is going. Well, yeah, he came in in relief. What what game was that? Game three? Yeah, game three, and he gave up, I think, two or three goals on his own. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe if he comes in game three and he stops everything he sees, maybe the coach and staff look at it a different way. And yet again, you can't always put everything on the goalie. Sometimes shit just isn't working, and I get that. But, I mean... I think this time of the year, if he comes in and he saves some pucks, at least now there's a little bit of a mentality where the guys come into the room and, hey, we got to be better. It's not just, you know, Dell sucks too. (laughs) No, but I mean, it's just one of those things. Like mentally it could put you in a different place if he comes in and he plays better. He he plays his dick off and then the guys are saying shit. Like... He he came in knowing that the game's going nowhere, but but he's giving it his all. We need to be better. Yeah, and the thing for me is, I don't know. Let's say San Jose wins Game Seven and advances. What's scary to me is their defensive play, because 
I know we talked about Burns and Carlson, like what a formidable pair or even like number one and two guys that they have, at least offensively. But them, and Brendan Dillon had a good game of six. He had a big defensive play late in the game. But defensively, Vegas is just exploiting the shit out of San Jose. And if you're moving on and you're going to be playing, I know it's Colorado, but you're going to be playing McKinnon, Lagascon, uh, Ratnan, or even if you move on and play somebody else in a conference final, you got to fix that because if you can't count on a guy like Jones to bail you out and be like that franchise, still your serious type goalie. You need to tighten that shit up. And that's what worries me about game seven. I know they're at home. I know they have very strong offensive firepower. But if it's a close game late or an OT, that's a very, very nervous and sticky situation to be in if you're a Sharks fan. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know how I felt about it, but I'm going to say it right now. Marc-Andre Fleury is only going to give up one goal tomorrow night. That's it. V- Vegas only needs two. And that shouldn't be too difficult against Jones and his defense right now. Yeah, the, the, that that's my guess for tomorrow. They'll get the empty net. It'll be 3-1 Vegas. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? We're going to put that... Uh, on Facebook for everybody can see that before game seven tomorrow night. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go overtime four, three San Jose. Who you got with the game winner game winner. I'm going to go. Mm, I'm trying to go out of the box here a little bit. No, I'm no young guy. I'm going to go Timo Meyer. Timo Meyer, back-to-back game-winning goals. I like it. Yep. Right. So I'm going to go with him. When you're, uh, when you're hot, you're hot. <laughs> Out west again. Uh, we have game six tonight just getting underway in uh, Dallas. The Stars up three games to two over Nashville. I know we don't have a recap to give since the series is still ongoing at the time of our recording. But both of us picked Nashville to win the series. I thought it'd be over in five, maybe six. Currently uh, one nothing Nashville. Ten, one nothing Nashville. Ten okay. minutes left in the first. So, what do you? What are your thoughts on this series? What's been going on? Pecorino has kind of had a bad two or three games in a row now, and now he's on a road, which is his own playoff house of horrors. Playing on a road in a playoff. So, um, I had a lot of hopes and dreams for Pecorino in this series to kind of erase the ghosts past hasn't really happened too much but one thing is Dallas is capitalizing on all of their chances like anytime Nashville coughs up a puck Dallas scores a goal so I'm I'm not putting this completely on Pecorine Nashville has to be better as a whole um they're a very deep team currently not showing it if they make it out of this first round they're in trouble with St. Louis. They're in a yeah. lot of trouble with St. Louis. So I think they need to tighten shit up tonight, force game seven, win game seven, and then just kind of go back to the drawing board. And the good news is with St. Louis also being a central, you know, central division opponent, they have a lot of video to go off of them playing Winnipeg. They, they can kind of see what worked, what didn't. Um, they can go after Jordan, do I look nervous? Bennington, and just kind of see what's going on. I mean, I hope Nashville can make it out. I had them going to the cup final in the West, and 
if that doesn't work, I mean, fuck my bracket completely. So, yeah, I mean, for, like you said, Dallas has capitalized their big three in Sagan, Ben, and Radulov. 16 points in the five games so far. They're coming through. They're answering all their critics that they've had from last year through this year, even their own team president. Zuccarello has been a huge, huge addition for them and coming back from that uh, leg injury late in the year after his trade over from the Rangers. He, I think, has three, four goals in his first round matchup. He's providing that spark, especially on the power play, which is where he shined in New York in his career here. Uh, so he. He's giving them that extra little pep in their step, especially once they get that power play out there. Ben Bishop has been playing well. Uh, Vezina Trophy finalist. Uh, I just, I mean, not much to say outside of that. Nashville is just being outproduced and outworked right now. Um, and they, Dallas has two opportunities starting at home tonight to knock them off and move on. And it's going to be interesting because if I didn't think they'd beat Nashville, I wouldn't don't think they would have much of a chance against the Blues. Uh, but we'll see. You never know how far defense and a defensive team system takes you in the playoffs now. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is I'm surprised as to how bad Nashville's been at home. Usually they're lights out at home, and they have not been that thus far during the playoffs. Subban still MIA. He's got to step up tonight and possibly Game 7. Uh, this is why you're getting paid the big bucks, not to just host the reality TV show and a talk show. Very, very much so on the big bucks category. <laughs> um, and then the last series out west, this one wrapped up yesterday. Uh, St. Louis knocked off the Winnipeg Jets in six games. Uh, what are your thoughts? I know I had St. Louis winning the series in seven. I don't necessarily think St. Louis won because of Winnipeg not living up to expectations. I just think St. Louis continued to play from December onward and just when they were Winnipeg was just not the better team in this series. No, and I posted on the Facebook page yesterday, I believe. Um they had a reporter after the game ask Blake Whaler about why oh, yeah. why their best wasn't their best and his polite answer was just to fuck off. In in fairness, yeah, I mean St. Louis outplayed them. There's no question. Every facet of the game, St. Louis outplayed them. Going forward, was Winnipeg unlucky in certain things? Yeah, I mean, there was, I don't know if it was game four or game five, but Hazy gets this beautiful chance, and all he has to do is tap it in, and then Edmondson wraps him up. Hazy goes for the poke, and instead of poking it in the net, he poked it to the corner. Kind of unlucky, kind of bad bounces but not making excuses. I mean, St. Louis outworked them. Uh, Edmondson in the corners, the, the fucking little madman. Um, I'm I'm now intrigued to see as to if St. Louis can go on a run here because they looked very good, complete top to bottom. We talked about their best players need to be their best players going into this series, and they were. I mean, finally, Jaden Schwartz, hallelujah. He is fucking back from he, the dead on Easter yeah, weekends. He, he has risen. And, I mean, talk about a game to have the last two games. Uh, first, the game winner in game five, and then a hat trick to top it off in game six. So, pretty good. And if you're St. Louis, you're got to be looking at a room thinking, we're full of confidence. We just knocked off Winnipeg. If, that, if uh, Dallas knocks off Nashville, Calgary's already been knocked out. You have a clear path to the Stanley Cup. Yeah. You know, on paper, you should be able to beat Dallas. On paper, you should be able to beat uh, the Colorado, 
San Jose or Vegas would be more of a matchup, but you have a clear path to the Stanley Cup for the Blues. I agree 100%. And the other thing, too, was I was kind of iffy. Part of my reason why I picked Winnipeg was I didn't know how Jordan, do I look nervous, Bennington was going to perform, but no, he did not look nervous. Winnipeg fans chanted him, you look nervous. No, he, he did pretty good. Um, I also <laughs> like, too, after game five, after they lost, he uh, picked up the puck at the end of the game and he skated off with it. So Winnipeg wasn't able to take that puck, which I thought was uh, a pretty ballsy for a rookie goalie to do, but m- more funny than anything. So, you know, for your mission to win 16, you can't even put the puck on the wall or whatever the guys do at that point. <laughs> so I thought that uh, was pretty good. Yeah, the only thing I, I wanted to mention uh, is Patrick Line came out today that for most of the season, he's been dealing with a back injury that's prevented him from really practicing uh, and getting ready to go before each game. He didn't have a poor first round. Uh, he played much better than he had the second half of the regular season. Uh, but he's been dealing with an injury. He also had a groin injury. So that's one storyline there. That's two years in a row that Line has been dealing with this back injury. Uh, so he's an upcoming restricted free agent. So we'll see how that plays out in terms of negotiations or his trade value. But yeah, Nashville. Uh, sorry, Winnipeg just got outworked. St. Louis just was the better team in a series, and the trade deadline acquisition of Kevin Hayes, even though he wasn't like a franchise-altering guy, really just didn't move the needle at all for them. No, and another thing too was when their guys performed, they were pretty good. But when they were cold, they were cold. Um, Wheeler, Shifley, and Jesus Christ, and Connor, I'm sorry, I spaced on his name. The first games, one through four, they were good, but in games five and six, when you really needed them, MIA completely. Yep. I will switch it up, head over to the Eastern Conference. Uh, we already talked about Tampa Bay and Columbus just because of how that shook up the hockey world. The other sweep out east was the Islanders over the Pittsburgh Penguins. Both of us kind of had this vibe from the Penguins before the playoffs started that there was something going on with the team, like their mojo seemed off. They didn't seem as, I'm not going to question their dedication, obviously, but they just something seemed off with this Penguins team as compared to uh, the Stanley Cup teams the last few years. Uh, they got swept. Not thoroughly surprised that Downers won a series, just surprised it was in four games. Uh Unfortunately, the only bad news for the Islanders making it to the second round is that now they have to play all their home games in Brooklyn and not Nassau Coliseum. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the series? And it's going to be an interesting summer out there in Pittsburgh. Phil Kessel, uh, already the rumors are starting to fly there. Uh, there seems to be some issues in the room which could be put at the plate of Mike Sullivan as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm, a, I'm anxious to see as to what happens. I think there's definitely going to be some changes that happen uh, Sidney Crosby, I know a lot of people knock him for the crybabiness and a whole bunch of other things, but at least took responsibility after the series to say that, you know, that's on me, I have to be better. And he's right. I mean, when you're the best player in the game, you can't just not be on the score sheet, especially this time of the year. Going forward, yeah, uh, the Islanders surprised me, man. I did not think that they were going to sweep Pittsburgh. I thought Pittsburgh was going to win like you said we we kind of had our ifs and bouts but I just figured this time of the year it's kind of hard to bet against Pittsburgh but the Islanders legitimately surprised me and 
Barry Trotz's system is in place. It looks like they're on track to play the Capitals, but I mean, who, who knows? It could be the Hurricanes. Uh, I know they're tied 2-2 right now, about to start the third. Hopefully we'll get a couple more updates as they go. Shit, maybe we'll even have an overtime game that we could post it about later. <laughs> Whatever. But, um, yeah, they legitimately surprised me. I'm with you. I do think it's bullshit. They got to go back to Brooklyn to play there. But outside of that, they might be able to make some noise in the second round, too. As to if they'll go to the Eastern Conference Finals, I don't know. But it seems like it's almost the year of the underdog. Yeah, outside of... And the Islanders were a very small favorite just because of the seeding, not necessarily because of the talent level or their points that they accrued over the season over Pittsburgh. But outside of them and... Uh, Sorry about that. Hello. Uh, <laughs> outside of them, it was basically all upsets this year. Yeah, you know? so far everything's been an upset. So it, interesting to see how things play out these next couple of days. And the other thing, just one more thing about the uh, Penguins. They had a they have a lot of mileage on their core guys. You know, they've won two Stanley Cups uh, back to back, they've been on long playoff runs. Outside of that one year, they lost in five to the Rangers. Uh, Carl Hagelin's winner in Game Five. They could just be tired and worn down. They just need maybe a long summer is exactly what's going to help recharge the batteries for guys like Dumoulin and Crosby, Malkin, Hornquist, Latang, uh, Matt Murray, and those guys. So it might be a little bit of a blessing. You never want to say it as a fan or a player, but maybe a long summer is kind of what they need. No, and I'm with you 100% too. That happened with Chicago a couple of years ago. I know this year they didn't make the playoffs, but a couple of years ago when they finally didn't make it or they got knocked out early, it was like, we're not playing into May or June. Like, we could, I could take a three week or a month vacation off completely, let my body heal, and then go into training. And I would still be a month ahead of schedule. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, I think rest is definitely huge. And in case anybody was wondering, that the bells that you heard in the background was my phone alerting me that the third period is about to begin in Carolina. Don't believe Benny. Benny was an altar boy, and those were uh, the <laughs> church bells that they uh, ring from the father. So th- thank you, Ben, for sharing that with us. Um, and the last series in the Houston Conference uh, that we can touch on, like we said, it's game 6-9 in Carolina. It's tied 2-2 at the start of the third period. Uh, Washington with a 3-2 series lead over the Hurricanes. I had Washington winning in seven. Uh, thoughts so far? I know I have a couple of thoughts uh, about the Ovechkin fight with uh, Sheshnikov and some notes on Hamilton from watching the games as well, but I'm curious what your, your input on the series is so far. Just your boy Warren Fogle. That's it. <laughs> Warren um, Fogle, baby. Warren Fogle, three goals, two assists, five points. He got his fourth goal tonight. Bang. And, and another thing, too, with that guy, whether it was intentional or unintentional, he was the guy who cross-checked Oshie. And, and yeah. Oshie's now gone. I, I don't know. Washington would probably have... Collarbone. Yeah, the, Washington would probably have to make the cup final for us to even see Oshie, which I still don't even think we'd see him. Yeah, I think he's done for the year. Yeah, I think so, too. The, they just set out indefinitely. They didn't want to timetable it. If... Carolina can win tonight and push this to Game 7. A question I have for you is, every game would be the home team would have won. 
So now if it goes back to Washington, do you consider that game seven a coin flip or Washington at home, man, against this team? Like it's almost like their house of horrors. Mrazic can't stop a puck. The team looks like shit. But then they go to Carolina and they play good. I mean, do you think they'd be yeah. able to go in there and steal a game or no chance? I mean, there's always a chance. They just got run out of that building 6 nothing on Sunday, on a Saturday. So I don't want to put anything past uh, these bunch of jerks in Carolina to, if they pull off a win tonight at home, they go into a game seven on Wednesday and pull it off. But I just, I can't trust a guy like Peter Morazic in a game seven on the road against a team like Washington and outplay Braden Holpe in a game seven. Yeah, I think beating Holpe is definitely going to be tough, but it's like, I just don't get, let me rephrase, because it's happened in certain series where only the home team wins. But like, they don't even go there and compete. It's like they go in there and they get the doors blown off. So to me, it's just like, I don't even know how to take it. Like if they went in there and they lost the game, you know, 2-1, it's like, ah, shit, you know, they got one on us. When you go in there and every game has been, I mean, Washington scored at least four in every home game, at least four. So I just, I don't know. I, I don't think the faith is there. Yeah, I know you touched on the Oshie hit. What were your, do you think that was a dirty play by Fogle? I know it sucks to see a guy like Oshie uh, get hurt like that, but I'm curious if you thought that was a dirty hit. Um, and I'm also curious what your thoughts are on that Ovechkin fight uh, that he had with Shushnikov. I think it was game two. Uh, the No, I think it was game three. Wasn't it the first game in Carolina? Oh, yeah, yeah, game three. Sorry. Okay. Um, the hit by Fogel on Oshie, it didn't look like he really extended out too much on the cross check. So I don't know if it was just a mixture of space in between the boards and kind of being awkward. Obviously, I mean, I wasn't the one receiving the check. Maybe he actually gave him one really good in the back, and fucking that's why he went toppling over. Regardless, I I do think it's dangerous. The spot he did it, I mean, that's about that five-foot area from the boards where legit someone takes you out, that's where you're going. So on that end, I mean, I I guess it's borderline. I mean, Brindamore came out and said... He just thought it was awkward, and Oshie wasn't expecting the hit, which caused all that issue. And maybe he's right, but it just—I don't know. That that one was kind of tough for me. It's it's borderline, and I know the league didn't step in. I know Ovechkin was steaming. I don't blame him. As for the Ovechkin fight and knockout with the other one, I understand. Benny, can you pronounce it for me? Shveshnikov. Uh, uh, I mean, you got pretty good with that with all those Rangers first round Russian <laughs> bus draft picks. But um, that fight, I know he challenges Ovechkin. I mean, according Ove- to Ovechkin, apparently Sveshnikov says that he never challenged Ovechkin and they just happen to drop the gloves. I don't know. If you watch that video the whole way through, he's definitely saying something to him, and I don't think it's how are you in Russian. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's go with that he challenged Ovechkin. Yeah, he challenged Ovechkin. I mean, Oviad, anyways, I don't know why he's fighting this time of the year because if he goes in there and he breaks his hands on this guy's face, which, I mean, he probably could have. He knocked him out cold. Now you're done for six weeks. 
Yeah. So I, I think, A, he needs to be smarter. B, I mean, Ovi has him by 40 pounds, dude. Like, yeah. what, are you, what are you doing fighting him? Like, j- just laugh at him and walk away. Like, Not even the same weight class. Not the same weight class. And the other thing for me, it's kind of Bush League, too, with Ovechkin being the captain of this team and being in the league now for X amount of years to then go and fight a rookie. At the same time, I mean, was he challenged and he wants to answer the bell? Sure, I get that, too. But it's just like, why couldn't it be somebody else? Like, you knock the kid out cold. It's an ugly scene all around. Uh, Shveshnikov is skating currently. Um, do you know if he's playing tonight? I know they said there's rumors. I don't know if he's back in or if he's not. But, he's uh, not playing tonight. I wouldn't be surprised if he misses a potential game 7-2 because that he, being knocked out cold like that, that's going to take like at least a week to get back to being uh, yourself. Well, I don't know. They had him skating before, so that was three, four. It was game six? No, game game four. He was skating before game four. He, he was out there skating. They had him out there for an hour, and I, I thought there was an actual chance he was going to go. I mean, because even if you're in the concussion protocol and all that, they're not going to have you skate an hour if you're not up to snuff. Yeah, he's not Ooh, in the th- lineup. 3-2 three, Carolina. 3-2 Carolina. Carolina just scored. Um, yeah, my thing on the Ovechkin fight, like you said, he has the weight advantage. There's two things. First, I'll get into the start of the play. Ovechkin was the one that slashed Sveshnikov along the sideboards when the puck wasn't around there. Um, Carolina had the lead at the time. Sveshnikov slashes back. They get in each other's face. I guess uh, the kid challenged Ovechkin to a fight. Ovechkin dropped the gloves and knocked him out. Now, Ovechkin started that situation if the replays followed the entire interaction up and down the ice correctly. So he was looking for an issue. He was probably didn't expect the kid. Now, here's two things. Here's the thought. Either he didn't expect the kid to give him shit back and then challenge him to a fight, and he was like, fine, fuck it. Or he was looking for someone to start some shit with, and he decided, as a captain of the defending Stanley Cup champs, okay, I need to start something, get my team going. I'm going to pick the smallest, one of the smallest guys on the ice who's a rookie and get that going. And to me, that's worse than uh, just being caught off guard that it ended up being a fight. But the other thing is, it's the hockey code. Ovechkin went out there as the captain trying to spark his team because if you see a guy like Ovechkin go, it's going to wake your team up. But on the other side of things, if you're... Sveshnikov, and let's say he didn't actually start the fight, or he, he challenged him because he did. I think he's only doing that because he doesn't want to gain a reputation as being soft or not being able to protect himself, even if they want guys in his room. So I think that code kind of worked both ways against him there, where it led to that situation because he there's no there's no exit strategy once you're in Ovechkin's face there as the rookie. You either have to go and see what happens, or you bounce back bounce away from the situation and it kind of you kind of build up that reputation as being a soft if you know what i mean no i get you do you think he might have been trying to bait him but then he ended up getting grabbed and it was kind of like oh shit like now we're in (laughs) well if that was like a shit you turtle (laughs) like i I wouldn't want no part of bull man ovechkin well i mean it's funny too because you bring it up like he was he was trying to chuck him too. Like before he got knocked yeah. out, like they were going right hand for right hand. 
So, I mean, the the kid wasn't scared. Yeah, and my final thought is, like, if Ovechkin was out there, maybe not looking for a fight, but looking to start something to get his team going, I sent you this in a text message when it happened. There are guys in Carolina you can do that with. You can go after a guy like Michael Furland. You can even go after a guy like Nino Niederreiter because he's pretty similar size with you. Brock McGinn uh, wouldn't have an issue. There are other guys you can start some shit with, not necessarily meaning a fight. And the 19-year-old rookie who weighs, I think, like 180, 190 pounds and has never fought in the NHL. Yeah, and I mean, maybe it's just misfortune of they both end up getting lined up together. And I'll leave it at that. But it's like, you never want to see anyone get knocked out. At the end of the day, I know it's playoffs. Everyone's fighting for an edge. But you just don't want to see it. Yeah, that was brutal to watch. I feel bad for Kid. Hopefully there's no long-term... Uh, effects. I don't think this really harms a veteran's reputation um, at all or that much. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but now it's time for for the quote-unquote big boy series. Game 7, Boston at home against the Maple Leafs tomorrow night at TD Garden. Boston pulling off their win on the road in Toronto in Game 6. Pretty much dominated every facet of the game against Toronto. What are your thoughts what are you looking out for in terms of what Boston needs to accomplish? What are you looking out for that worries you about the Maple Leafs on the road in the Game 7? And what's your prediction? I originally said the Bruins in 7. I, I still feel the same way. Um, like I said before, I, I feel like this is kind of like a Sid Ovi thing where if for me to bet against the Bruins here, I, I need Toronto to actually beat us one time for them to make everyone's kind of mind switch. Um, get down to it, Frederick Anderson has played out of his fucking mind. Um, he scares me back there. I'm not going to lie about it. Anytime the Bruins are shooting pucks, he's eating them up. I know in Game 5 at home, the Bruins made him look a lot better than he was. There was a lot of rubber, but they didn't really make him move, so they kind of shot it right at him. That Mitch Marner, man, he... He impresses me every time I see him out there. He, I can't believe the end of game, it was either three or four, where he blocks two shots at the end of that game, like lays out completely, eats one, and then the other one he goes completely across head first. Mm-hmm. The, the kid wants to win, and, and I think that's huge. I think a vital person who, if they're going to win tomorrow, John Tavares needs to show up. He's been a little Oh, yeah, a goal netter. Yeah, he needs to show up. He's he's getting dirty. I see him down in the dirty areas, but he's not really contributing. I don't really see too many shots coming from him. The Boston defense needs to stop trying to pinch because every time they pinch on a play, it's a two-on-one coming the other way, and it's driving me apeshit. Um, we could touch on the Game 5 goalie interference. Oh, yeah. Do I think it makes the outcome of the game no, because of this, I know uh, we lost two to one. Yeah, they wouldn't. I get it. Listen, what happens there if they call that a goal, which they did, Boston cannot let Toronto get another goal two minutes later. Boston needs to bounce back there and make it one one. So I put that on the Bruins because then at the end of the game, now they're pushing, pushing, pushing. Well, well, where the fuck was that push all of game five? But nowhere. So. The only thing for me with the call is this. 
if you are going with goalie interference, I want it strictly to be goalie interference in the sense of did he interfere with the goalie? Not would the goalie be able to stop that puck regardless, but interfering with the goalie. Do I think it was goalie interference? Yes. Do I think Tuca would have stopped that puck even if there wasn't interference? Probably not. I don't think so. So to me, it's just if you're going off the integrity part of goalie interference, it's strictly goalie interference. So that's just my point of view on it. Um, Tomorrow night, I think the Bruins' big three has to be the big three. Patrice Bergeron was an absolute freak the other day at the faceoff draw. I think he won 14 of them, and he only lost like four. The guys need to play. I know we've been to this with this team and against that team a lot of times. So if Toronto is going to win this series, I think that it would be fitting that it has to happen here in a Game 7 after the debacle they had a couple of years ago and then us beating them here last year is it toronto's time it could be man uh they're not a bad team they play really well their d is probably the only really shaky thing jake muzzin defensively this series has been fucking god awful but it seems like anytime offensively when he gets a shot from the point it's getting tipped in there's just some sort of mayhem with him so he's been a little liability defensively I know I'm rambling here but this is just shit I'm seeing and I'm just the verbal diary is coming out I'm excited I'm nervous I'm going with Jake DeBrus game winning goal 3-2 Boston all right yeah I mean in terms of the goalie interference non uh call I guess I, I gotta say consistently, the rule really hasn't changed that much since 2014. That was a very, very similar play and non-call to the one in Game Two in the Stanley Cup Final, the Rangers and Kings, uh, when the Rangers uh, were up in Game Two, and that Lundqvist was bumped into uh, by Dwight King, no call. I think who scored it from Willie Mitchell scored from the point. Uh, to bring the Kings within a goal, and they ended up winning that game, and then eventually the Stanley Cup. But I think the series kind of turned on that non-goalie interference call, and it was very similar to the one that uh, was not called against Toronto uh, in Game Five. So I think yes, that was goalie interference. I don't think that goal should have counted. I don't think it was done on purpose. He didn't knock into him. You can call it incidental contact, whatever you want, but that goal should not have counted. Uh, on the flip side. Tuka has got to stop with the shooting, turning his head and shooting looks at the ref in the corner after every single goal when there's anybody in front of that. It's playoff hockey. You're going to be in your face. You're going to be dealing with traffic in front, scrums in front, guys in your crease, especially on loose pucks. I'm just, as an outsider, it's like a given. Whenever a goal is scored and there's a Maple Leaf within a three-foot radius of him, he's shooting a look at the referee in the corner going, what the hell is that? Well, and, yesterday, the, the first two minutes of the game, we come in, one of our D's blows an edge, comes sliding across, goes into Tuca, and Tuca not even realizing that it's our guy just automatically thinks that the play's going to be called dead or it's going to be goalie interference. He doesn't even make an effort to get back to the net. The puck's still alive. Toronto wraps it around the boards back to the other side, and now he has to sprint back to the net to make a save. And it's like, 
you know what? If the ref's going to call it, the ref's going to call it. Yep. Uh, so, like, you know, just play the game, and then when you hear the whistle, see what it is. Like, it, it just drives me crazy that he got taken out and fucking nothing lackadaisical going back to the net. Like, it's nothing. Just expected a call to be made. And it's like, dude, seriously, get the fuck back in your net. Just worry about the puck. Don't worry about anything else. Yeah, Tuca gets easily distracted when it comes to that stuff. And if I'm the Maple Leafs or any other team playing the Bruins in the playoffs, I get in his grill from the first face-off in game one because that's going to kind of throw him off. He's going to get him thinking about it and more frustrated than that than like you indicated with that play. Just plain goal. Let the ref do their jobs, and if they don't do their jobs, then you can handle it in another fashion. But you can't just continue letting guys get in your mind like into your brain like that. And one uh, other thing while on the refs real quick, too. The refereeing yesterday was awful. I, I know yeah, we won. Sure. I know we won, so I can't complain. All the refs were, But, like, that delay a game call against Chara when the puck ends up in our bench, I don't know how they don't overturn that call. They all look at each other like it's a game puck. We, can't, we can give you a Bruins puck with our thing on it, but we can't <laughs> give you, like, a game puck from our bench. Um, so that was awful. There was an awful fucking tripping call on Charlie Coyle, an awful high-sticking call. I just hope that the referees put the whistle away tomorrow and let the boys play. Because, I mean, I, I think that it could predict an outcome, whether good or bad for the Bruins, and whether good or bad for Toronto. It can predict an outcome. I hope the whistles are put away. I hope they play. Call the obvious shit, but everything else, let the boys fight it out. Yeah, and if that's going to be what it is, that favors Boston heavily, especially with Kaji out for Toronto, where if some clutching and grabbing, some sick checks, some uh, holds in a corner or cross checks in the front of that are going to be not called as strictly as usual. That favors Boston heavily just because of the style of playing their roster construction. Um, a couple of really quick things I wanted to hit on. The John Tavares thing, one goal in a series, which was an empty netter. Cedeno Chara has been on his ass. And the reason why that works with Chara, who is still playing pretty well at 42 years old, Tavares is not swift on his skates. And that plays right into a matchup against Chara. So Chara's been having a big series against Tavares in that line. Uh, Brandon Carlo has been playing, I think, extremely well defensively. And him and that crew balanced each other out uh, in this first round so far. So that's been, I think, a boon to Boston's defensive depth so far to have a pairing that can provide in either facet of the game, defensively or offensively, recruiting Carlo. So uh, big props to a big boy Carlo, who I was attempting to hypothetically get in a trade for Zuccarello at the deadline with uh, Kevin. Um, so big big matchup there. Uh, on the Toronto side of things, besides Tavares needing to step up, two things. One, for the three or four years, in his last three or four years with the Rangers, I can't even tell you how many times I would yell at the TV when the Rangers would be in a defensive zone and be a loose puck, and the Rangers would finally get possession of it, and Girardi would have it, and all he would do is whip it around the boards every single time. There was no idea, no thought of possessing the puck, skating it through the faceoff circle, hitting on a headman pass, anything. As soon as it was like hot potato, as soon as he got the puck up the sidewall, and the other team would get it, and the Rangers would be pinned back in their own zone. I say that because I see the exact same thing with Saitsev. 
his either his confidence is shot because I haven't seen too much of him this year. Either his confidence is shot, or if that's his style of play, that is brutal. Like a few times in Game Six, he got the puck just with the round of boards, and that automatically stalls out your offensive attack and transition game. Uh, the last thing for Toronto is your strength is your offensive firepower. If you're going to try and play a low-scoring game against Boston, you're not going to win. If you're going to try and spread out the wealth, especially in a Game 7 uh, late or an OT, I don't think that plays into your into Toronto's hands. If I'm Babcock, and again, the line's going to be changed uh, according to what they were for the majority of the season, your top six has to be Matthews, obviously, Marner, Kapanen, Tavares, and Marlowe. They need to be in there. Like, you need to ride your big boys. And I know Tavares has been shut down by uh, Chara in this series, but to me, that means you put Marner on his wing. I know you're breaking up Matthews and Marner, but I'm putting Marner on Tavares' wing, giving Chara something, somebody else to think about, putting Kapanen on the right side of Matthews, rolling with Marlowe, rolling with Hyman on the left side, and then seeing what happens. Like, I, if I'm Toronto, I'm not losing another first-round series in Boston on the road because our guys were shut down and we just didn't have the defensive uh, game plan to be able to contain your guys' victory. That Hyman's been a fucking pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, but in terms of prediction, I did pick Toronto in seven games. They did shoot themselves in the foot by having to win two out of the last three on the road in Boston. I'm nervous now because, like you said, until Toronto proves it, Boston has that pedigree on winning Game 7s at home. That Patrice Bergeron OT winner with Jack Edwards' call still sticks into my brain before tomorrow night's Game 7. But I'm, I'm going to stick with my pick. I 100% would not be surprised if Boston won, but I'm going to go 4-3 in OT. Toronto wins it. And I'm going to go my boy, Kasperi Kapanen, with the game winner. He's one ugly motherfucker. They've been having the close-ups, and maybe it's just the way the facial hair is. But like, if you said Marner, I'd probably be a lot happier because, I mean, the kids like earned it. But that, that cat, oh. Dude, when, when it, dude, the reason why he's so ugly is because he was probably jolted in his dad's balls when he was still in there when Sammy was hit by... Uh, What's his face? Ty Domi in the playoffs like 10 years ago. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I got jostled around a little bit. Uh, but all right. So we got a picks for game seven tomorrow night in Boston. I uh, gave a recap of the series so far. It's still 3-2 Carolina at the time of this recording. Eight minutes to go in the third. Uh, Nashville is still up 1-0 in the first in Dallas. They're down three games to two. Uh, so I we have a few quick hits we wanted to touch on. We have a few coaching hirings. Tom McClellan to the LA Kings. Elaine Vigneault to the Philadelphia Flyers. What are your thoughts on both of those hires? And which one do you think fits best in terms of new hire? Fits best? I don't know. Um, I would say Elaine Vigneault definitely landed in the better spot. I feel like the lineup in Philadelphia is a lot more veteran-based than I'd probably say easier to deal with you, you still got Giroux you got Voracek you have that nice defensive core intact with Konechny uh Gostas Bear so I think there's a lot of things you can build on off of there I think that 
they're going to go after a couple of free agents this summer, and hopefully they can land a couple. As for Todd McClellan going into L.A., obviously a little bit of a dumpster fire this year. I think that's going to be really hard to turn around in that Pacific division. I do think that Todd McClellan is a very good coach. So with that being said, I think if they can get their roster intact and he can get his system going, maybe there's a chance, but I still don't see them doing anything for at least next season and maybe even the season after. Yeah. But so my first thought is, isn't it funny how it seems like for third, well now 31 head coaching jobs in the NHL, it's like the same 32 or 33 guys that just get recycled in and out depending on a job opening. Like, I know the Rangers high Quinn, Jim Montgomery was hired in Dallas, and guys like that get opportunities. But when it comes to coaching hires, it's like the same names always mentioned. Dave Tippett, Elaine Vigneault, Joel Quenville, uh, Tom McClellan, all these guys are just retread after retread. Um, but to answer my own question, Elaine Vigneault loves him in New York. Uh, he took over after Tortorella was let go, and in his first year won the uh, brought the Rangers to the Stanley Cup final, won a President's Trophy with the Rangers. Uh, he's the all-time winningest coach in Vancouver Canucks history, 313 wins. He won the Jack Adams in 2007, uh, 648 career wins uh, for AV. I think this is a slam-dunk home run hire for the Flyers. They have enough talent, like you said, uh, veteran and young, and to bring in an experienced coach like AV who's going to bring in accountability, he's going to bring in his system, he's going to accentuate the strengths of this roster, which is mostly offensive. I think it's a slam dunk hire, especially if Carter Hutt, uh, Hart um, continues his strong play from his rookie year. I think Philly is going to be a team to watch out for uh, heading into next season. And just one other thing, score update, Carolina 4, Washington 2, 725 left in the third. Oh, boy, it looks like possible Game 7 on Wednesday, too. Good. Push that series another day, hopefully. <laughs> um, the other thing we want to touch on quickly before shout-outs is Stevie Y. Uh, Steve Eisman has made the much-anticipated worst-kept secret in hockey return to Motown to take over as GM in Detroit. Ken Holland, who's been there since before I was born, uh, moves to a senior vice president role. We'll see if he... Ends his career in Detroit and wants to move on and take another GM role somewhere else. Uh, but what are your thoughts on Eisman heading home? And do you see him continuing this rebuild, or do you see him wanting to speed things up a little bit? Did you actually see the press conference? The I saw like clips of it. Uh, the only takeaway I had was he was pretty much giving the same GM talk and then the handshake with Ken Holland. But other than that. Uh, nothing that stood out to me. I saw a little bit of it, and the only thing that stood out to me was that Ken Holland looked like he was dead up there. Just <laughs> completely, like, just eyes straight ahead, lost look on his face. L- like we said, this was the worst-kept secret in hockey. Stevie Y wanted to go home, spend more time with his family. Oh, and magically, the GM job came at, in Detroit where his family is. Crazy. Did he earn it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the he was their captain for 20 years so four cups that whole tampa bay team has his writing written all over it i don't know if you would be able to go and do that in 
Detroit. They do have some players there. Detroit's a dump. Um, I know they have that brand new arena that which might make people come in there. I just think for him to get the Red Wings to what he wants to get them to, it's gonna be a rebuild. Like they, he has to. If it's not follow the path that Holland has left for him, he has to write his own rebuild path because it's going to be a while. I, I don't see any free agents going there, any big guys. It's going to have to be from within and through the draft and maybe some trades. He's going to have to wiggle something. They didn't fire Blaze Hill, which I thought was interesting. So obviously they're keeping the faith there. I don't know, man. I, I think... It's not as easy as he's anticipating like it was with Tampa. Yeah, I think that's going to be hard to replicate no matter where he went. Uh, as you mentioned, they have a few good pieces up front. Dylan Larkin, who looks like he's going to be uh, the captain of Detroit. Philip Sedina, who just drafted in the first round this past year. Uh, a couple of nice pieces up front. Not much in the back end. Not much in goal. Uh, Jimmy Howard, who I think is a pending free agent. Uh, 35 years old, not much going on there. Uh, the prospect base is well regarded, so we'll see what happens. If you're a betting man, I would be putting some money on uh, Stevie Y making some trades with Tampa to bring some of their depth guys, their rotational guys, or some prospects to Detroit because he knows that system and that roster and the guy's personality as well as anybody. And he's not obviously going to be getting anybody like Point or Kucherov or Hedman or those guys to join him in Detroit. But if you're looking at Tampa's roster, which is loaded, and you're looking at some rotational pieces or depth guys or like some B-level prospects, I wouldn't be surprised if they're starting if he starts building a pipeline from Tampa to Detroit in that way. Oh yeah, no, and I mean all the guys down there loved him. They thought Stevie was great, so I don't think there's any tension in that way. And, I mean, who better to know the salary crunch Tampa's going to be in than Stevie Y? So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of guys end up going that way. Yeah, I want JT Miller making a move to Detroit. Um, Yeah, so that's it in terms of non-game-related news around NHL at this point. Uh, Still 4-2 Carolina over Washington late in the third. Now it's time for some shout-outs. Unless you got a shootout for this week, I'm I'm pretty much set in terms of that. But shout-outs and shootouts, what do you got? Uh, if it wants to be a shootout, I guess it'll be like a shout-out, a shout-out shootout. So me and Big Kev were talking the other day, and we brought up a cool point in the sense of like NHL playoffs to make it different. And I know obviously this would eliminate the whole home ice advantage thing. But for example... Columbus just beat Tampa Bay. So what if now, instead of reseeding, so then it would be, oh, if Boston beats Toronto, they would now be one and Columbus. What if Columbus actually took Tampa's seed? So now going into the next round, Columbus has home ice advantage. Oh, I see. So it's kind of like taking on the benefit of whatever team you knocked out. Yeah, My only question is what happens if the higher seed so nothing would change. They would, like knocking out a lower seeded team wouldn't benefit the higher seeded team at all. It would just be if the lower seed team pulled off an upset. Exactly. So just kind okay. of more of a thing. And I mean, obviously, that makes the regular season different because I know towards the end people are just trying to lock up home ice, and I get that. But I mean, I guess it's kind of one of those things too of 
how much does home ice mean to you? I yeah, know, I know some teams actually like playing on the road because they don't have the headache of people calling for tickets or you know bothersome. You can just go back to the hotel and get your pregame nap in. So maybe they prefer it, but at the same time, I mean, it wouldn't be a bad thing if, hey, Columbus is first place now, so now they're guaranteed the home game. So I don't know. I just think it would be a different way to look at it. Yeah, that's interesting because they're still going to play the winner of the Boston-Toronto series, but in this example, instead of being a lower seed and playing on the road in games one and two, Boston or Toronto would be going on the road to Columbus for those games. So, yeah, that's an interesting proposal. Um, I would love... Trust me, you know me. I would be love to get into playoff formatting changes or like quirky uh, things we can add to the regular season of playoff format um, once the playoffs are over. All right. Well, we'll get there in the summer. Uh, yeah. Shout outs, Big Red, uh, Stratty. I'll see you tomorrow, baby girl. Probably me, you, some porch rockers, and some dominoes. I know I'm talking dirty, but please forgive me. Oh, you mess, yeah. Oh, wow, Benny with the hard chirp. And, um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. It's quiet this week. It's been nice. The kids were very good yesterday, so big shout-out to Cam and Emma, making uh, Easter a lot uh, a lot easier because I know sometimes when there's no naps and things get a little crazy, it can be a wild card. But, no, the kids were good. It was a good day, so I- I'm very happy about that. Yeah, I love seeing the pics of them, uh, especially when it's like the candid photos and videos of Emma – either with that big smile on her face or the videos of her basically being a scavenger and searching and destroying any food that's open and on a table in a house is fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, she was great yesterday. Anytime we would say, Emma Cheese, she would just make the cheese. (laughs) Yeah, eyes closed, teeth wide open. It was hysterical. She was good. The video of her, I guess from a week or two ago, with the popcorn, she's going, bowl. Cool. <laughs> corn, corn. It's like, oh yeah. my god, the, the girl uh, has three dinners a night. Uh, you got to get her on skates. Uh, as soon as she's older, she's gonna be a uh, powerful skater. So she's gonna be a fourth line goon. <laughs> um, shout out to me as always, first lady. Uh, we actually because of our really random schedules uh, that we both have now. I uh, enjoyed a nice afternoon hike uh, in Redwood City, California today, about 30, 40 minutes south of us in San Francisco. And, of course, my uh, soft ass nose and allergy symptoms spiked up as soon as I was around any plants or flowers. So I wanna also wanted to give a shout-out to uh, my boy, Ben Benadryl, because that shit has been working, and I'm about to pass the fuck out. <laughs> well... Another week in the books. Hopefully next week we're still talking about my team still being in it. So that'll make this podcast a little bit better, a little bit more uh, an at-home type of fail. Um, if the Bruins do win, we are going to get that video of Chariso singing the anthem like Renee. We will still hold up our end of the bargain with the Go Leafs Go and some Leaf swag. We're excited. Uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, man. This shit has been insane, undescribable, unbelievable. A lot of stuff happening. And more than anything, it's just been right down through the wire. We'll catch you guys next week.